It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. On your Friday episode of Locked On Raptors, we take a second to collect our thoughts after a lot of news developments this week for the Raptors, particularly when it comes to extension talks for Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam, which don't seem like they're in any way close, particularly for Siakam, considering his deadline is passed. We'll dig into why it's not really all that concerning and what to expect from the extension talks going forward for those two, plus the injury report. Chris Boucher, Ken Birch, maybe back tonight against the Nets. What will that mean for the rotation? And to close things out, we're going to bring back a favorite segment in a bit of a reduced role, but still, it's the dude of the week! That's all coming up on today's episode of Lockdown Raptors. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it, so like, I don't shoot trying to miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 1265 of Locked on Raptors for Friday, October the 21st. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of Post Touches, my new Substack, which you, you can subscribe to for free or pay a little bit of money for if you want to do that. I've also been covering the Toronto Raptors now for nine seasons, which is crazy. I feel old. Either way, thank you so much for being here. You can find me on Twitter at WoodleySean. You can uh, check out the show at Locked on Raptors on Twitter as well. And you can follow, subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast for free on all your favorite podcast apps. It's uh, very much appreciated when you do that. We're also on YouTube. You can go hit the big red subscribe button and support the show that way. And that makes you a dear friend for life. So thanks in advance for doing that. If you've already done that, thank you so, so much. You're the very, very best setting an example for the rest of the folks out there who should just go take the plunge and hit the big red subscribe button. Also, today's show is brought to you by our friends over at betonline.net who have you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online is where the game starts and where the podcast starts today. 
is with extension talks for Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam. Not getting anywhere this week. We'll dig into that off the top. Also going to talk about the injury situations. Chris Boucher, Ken Burchotto, Porter Jr. How does that affect the dynamics of the bench, which did not perform terribly well against the Cavaliers on Wednesday, and then we'll close things out with the Dude of the Week. Of course, if you're familiar with the podcast last year, the Dude of the Game was a recurring segment throughout the season. Uh, I wanted to kind of take a different spin on that during the season for game recap shows, and so the Dude of the Week will be the stand-in for the Dude of the Game, and we'll just shout out someone for their contributions for the last seven days, or over the last seven days, so we'll get to that later on. But, extension talk... First, of course, this is not fresh news. This is kind of the last couple of days. This has been percolating a little bit, but I didn't get a chance to address it because we were talking about games and doing over-unders and stuff like that. So just to kind of give you the lay of the land, lots of contract minutia going on for the Raptors this week. They picked up the options for Scotty Barnes for year three, Precious Achua for year four, and Malachi Flynn for year four. That's, you know, basic paperwork, I guess. There's not much to be really gleaned from that. You know, Malachi Flynn, good for him. I guess he's got a job for next season, and maybe he can make himself a rotation piece by then. We'll see. But the big ones, of course, are the extensions for Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam. Van Vliet, of course, going into what could be the final year of his contract. He's got a player option at the end of this season, and considering the market, considering the fact that he's going to be one of the better free agents on the market, it seems like he's probably going to opt out. And that, of course, leaves the Raptors in the position of having to sign the guy to keep him around. Pascal Siakam, a little bit less pressing, I would say. There's two years left on his deal, and there's no option for next season. So he's locked up through the end of the 23-24 season at the stands right now. His extension deadline already passed. It was, I believe, midnight before the season started. They couldn't get him extended. And that's not a surprise because Pascal Siakam stands to earn a whole lot of money if he can make the All-NBA team this year. And he becomes eligible for a whole new class of contract. If that does happen, he'll be eligible for a Supermax contract, which will pay him something like, I don't know, $300 million over five years, which is amazing for Pascal Siakam. I really hope that happens for him. And before the people out there start doing the math in their head and go... $60 million for Pascal Siakam? What the hell? Uh, Guess what? This is just how it's going to be in the NBA is the salary cap continues to go up. The best players are going to earn the same chunk of the cap they've always earned. It's just that, you know, it's just a bigger, louder number because the NBA is making a lot of bucks. So with the new TV deal coming in and everything like that, the cap's going to skyrocket, you would think, here in the coming seasons. Probably not like the one-year jump like we saw back in the summer of 2017 when Kevin Durant jumped ship to the Warriors just because... The cap jumped and the Warriors had a Kevin Durant-sized salary slot to fill all of a sudden. That probably won't happen here. But still, the logic here is, you know, the Raptors are going to be paying $60 bucks for Pascal Siakam, but that's 35% of the cap. That's what you pay to max players. That's just how it goes. And, you know, I'm not surprised that Pascal did not sign on a new deal before seeing if he could actually get that scratch and make an All-NBA team this season and put himself in line for the Supermax. I would not be worried about Pascal Siakam, and I would not be worried about paying Pascal Siakam either. I'll get to some thoughts on that in just a sec here. But Fred Van Vliet. He's, of course, a bit of a more pressing situation, as we've kind of detailed. He would have been eligible for a four-year, $114 million contract, which is, you know, a raise, of course, from what he's earned the last couple years on the deal he signed the last time he hit free agency, but it's not probably his market value. We're seeing... Tyler Hero and Jordan Poole land huge contracts. I think you could argue Fred Van Vliet is unquestionably a more valuable player than those types of guys. He's one of the better defensive 
guards in the entire NBA, probably in line for all defense one of these years at some point. He definitely will be if he keeps stripping the ball out of seven-footers' hands from behind. Uh, that's very fun. But, you know, with, with the situation going on with him, he can still sign that extension anytime. Like, it's not like it's something where it's Pascal where there was a deadline to do it. He can just sort of ride it out and, hey, middle of the season, he wants to sign something he can. But again, because of the economics of the league, because the cap is going to be going up, and because the price of the brick has gone up for all free agent players, there's no incentive for Fred to sign a deal right now. He's going to wait, and he's probably going to try to land himself something that earns him, you know, 30 plus million a year. Which again, it's totally fine. I have no problem with that and paying the guys the money that they're worth. It's not my money. I am not MLSE. They can go into the luxury tax whenever they please, and I do not care. And yes, there are some punitive things to going in this into the luxury tax. You get the repeater taxes, and you know your mid-level exception is smaller and all that. But ultimately, if you have a really good team, you just pay the freaking tax. And this is the thing I'm kind of fascinated with when it comes to the Siakam and Fred situations. You know, their new money is going to eventually come in. They're going to have to pay Scotty Barnes. They're probably going to have to pay Precious Achua as early as this summer as he'll be extension eligible. Uh, and then you got OG Ananobi, who's got a year left on his deal before, uh, or I guess two years left on his deal before he can opt out as well. And so, like, the money's coming up. It's just an undeniable thing. My thing is, and I've been thinking about this this week, and look, I'm maybe riding a little high on the first game of the season and how good things looked and the sort of speculative, you know, ceiling that this team can achieve as early as this season, probably so closer to next season or the year after. But my thinking is, yes, you have to sort of plot out when you're going to pay the luxury tax. You have to time it strategically with your window. It, you have to kind of make it all work. But there's no real reason why the Raptors can't just pay all of their core guys. Pascal, Fred, Siakam, sorry, Pascal, Fred, Barnes, OG, Precious, Trent. I think we all kind of agree that's the core. You know, eventually there will be considerations for Christian Coloco down the line and all of that. But for now, those are the guys who you want to sort of go all in on. And, and look, maybe that changes this season. Maybe Gary Trent Jr. finds himself outside of the plans. We are going to talk about Gary Trent Jr. later on in the show, so I don't want to spoil too much of that. But if you have, if you think, if, you, if you're the Raptors and you're looking at what's going on with your team, with the Eastern Conference, the way the league is trending, where you think Scotty Barnes is going to go, where you think OG can go, where you think Precious can take his game, there's a real possibility that the Raptors look at this roster and that core six of guys and say, you know what, we have the pieces here to eventually win a championship with the players we have in-house. That's a big thing to bet on. But it is something I, I think the Raptors might consider here. You know, I think there's been this sort of acceptance of the idea that, well, they're not going to be able to pay all these guys. They're just going to have to, you know, jettison one or two of them in order to afford things. And that very well could happen, for sure. That's still on the table, no doubt. But my thing is, it, like, look at what the Warriors have done. The Warriors have paid all of their guys basically in perpetuity, and it's created the system that we've seen, the, the continuity, the Warriors going and winning titles, four of them, making the finals six times, all of this. Like, that is the kind of long-term sustainability the Raptors have talked about wanting to achieve. And maybe the best way to do that is just pay all the dudes you have in-house and accept the luxury tax bills that come with it. Considering as well that when you are paying the luxury tax for a team as loaded as the Raptors figure to look in a year or two as these guys continue to grow into whatever their final form is going to be, 
you're probably looking at a team that's going to be an absolute cash cow for MLSE and is probably worth paying that extra luxury tax for. It's a really fascinating thing. Ownership really carries a lot of weight when it comes to the direction these teams take. I never really know how to sort of boil it down with the Raptors. It seems like Larry Tannenbaum, everyone loves him. He's kind of the big face of the board, but they're owned by a conglomerate. It's a bit of a different situation then. Does that one rich guy have enough money to pay all his guys, and will he do it because it's a vanity thing, much like Joe Lacob with the Warriors? I'm curious to see how the Raptors approach this, but with all the money that's going to be thrown around and talked about with Siakam and Fred and all these other guys eventually, I'm coming around on the idea of, hey, maybe all of the pieces are already in place, and then you just got to let this grow and germinate and, and sort of turn into whatever the final form is going to be. And the nice thing is, is they'll probably still have the maneuverability and the flexibility with their draft picks, with the guys who will probably still be on pretty movable contracts within the constructs of the NBA, where all these big deals are going to be sort of spread around. It's going to be valuable to have big contracts on the books so you can make trades as all of these massive salaries are floating around there. I think we're probably in line here for the Raptors to just pay all their dudes. And so don't worry if they if you know the Fred stuff doesn't happen during the season. Don't worry about them missing the Siakam deadline. I don't think many people really were, but the Raptors have a track record now of keeping their guys, and the only one they haven't really kept is Kawhi Leonard. Everyone else over the last 10 years or so who they've wanted to keep, they've been able to keep, and I would imagine that'll be the same with Pascal and Fred, and basically everyone else who comes up down the line as well, including Gary Trent Jr., who I'm really fascinated by, we're going to talk about in the last segment of the show. But before we get to that, we got to talk about the injuries. Chris Boucher, Ken Birch, and when they return, if they return tonight against the Nets, how do they fit into the bench rotation? How does that help what was a pretty rough bench rotation in the last game? We'll get to that in just one second here. But first, I do want to tell you about our friends over at betonline.net, your number one source for all of your football and, and basketball uh, odds this season. They are a wonderful place to go to become the informed wagerer, find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth analysis on every single game. And as always, Bet Online remains your continued source for all your sports wagering info. You got live betting, up-to-the-minute scores for every single sport out there. Why don't you go peruse their lines? Find a futures bet you like. I like to put some money down on like an NBA team who I think has just like a weird outside shot. If everything breaks right, of winning an NBA title. I think the Raptors in 2019 would have been a perfect example of a team to try to do this with. They weren't the heavy favorites or anything like that, but they had the ingredients. Go put some money on the Pelicans winning the title or something like that. Bet Online has you covered with all of those odds. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Head to the, uh, Bet Online is where the game starts and we love them. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done. All right, we continue on here with your first listen of the day, talking now 
But the Raptors injury situation, which has developed over the course of the week, Chris Boucher and Ken Birch listed as questionable for tonight as of yesterday with Raptors practice. Um, you know, Nick Nurse, I think, thought there was maybe a little bit longer of a recovery time here for Chris Boucher as he returns from that hamstring situation. Otto Porter seems a little bit further away. I'm in no rush to get rush Otto Porter back, not to repeat words and be bad at English, but I'm in no rush to force Otto Porter back into the lineup with any sort of speed here. Obviously, he's going to be very important. I think the Raptors are going to need him if they really want to kind of meet, meet their ceiling and figure out these in-between lineups. He does feel like such an easy solution to some of these in-between lineups. You put him in place of a Delano Banton, all of a sudden, extra space just injected into the conversation. And with the Raptors and the way they're going to use their bench this year, this year it seems, it seems that they're going to try to go with two or three starters at a time. Time, just sort of mixed in with bench guys. That's kind of what we saw for the most part in that Sixers game outside of the start of the fourth where they had four starters in Precious Achua. You know, they, they've been pretty heavy, you know, it, it seems, in trying to find these little duos and trios that can kind of work together. I think Scotty and OG is a duo, super fun. Obviously, some really great returns from them in that fourth quarter and, you know, the second half against the Cavaliers. Uh, and, you know, you get the shooting of OG, you get the creation of Scotty. Those are kind of two nice pillars to start your line up with. Same goes with the Siakam-Fred duo, which I would assume we're going to see a lot. You get the, the inverted pick and rolls, you get the 1-4 pick and rolls, um, and of course you get the creation of Siakam with the great shooting of Fred Van Vliet. Again, two nice pillars to start your bench lineups with. And then it's a matter of figuring out where all the other pieces fit in and how you tie these guys together. I think the starters figure to be quite good and starter heavy groups are going to be good, but when you start to get down to just two starters... Who are the bench pieces you can slide in with each of those combinations of guys to really kind of make it work? And, you know, we, we've seen some proof of some of those combinations that can work. I would assume if Chris Boucher is healthy, he's going to play as of tonight and will be part of the rotation going forward. He was so good last season and he really worked in some fun combinations Alongside Pascal Siakam and Precious Achua in particular, Siakam was very good with those guys last year. Add Scotty Barnes to the mix, and those lineups were absolute steamrollers. Um, you know, I still think I'd rather the Scotty OG dynamic as sort of your two guys that you stagger with Fred and, and Pascal staying together. But I would assume Boucher is going to slot in pretty comfortably into the role that we maybe saw. I guess Delano Banton playing in that opener, you know, Christian Coloco might see a little bit of a hit as well, just because there's a, a log jam in that front court. But that said, I mean, Christian Coloco makes a lot of sense to me as a player to have out there with those Siakam and Fred duos, because you get that pick and roll combination with Fred, you get the just sort of the space that having a vertical threat, which Coloco hasn't quite established himself as yet, but there's the theory of it. He's tall. He seems to have a pretty good nose for the timing. I would assume there will be some lob, chemist lob chemistry that comes along there at some point here. And I like the idea of kind of nurturing that two-man game between Fred and Coloco because it can open up a lot of things. And have, you know, Pascal with those guys as another creator as well. Like, that that seems to be, like, a pretty good trio to me. You slide in. Maybe you go super huge in these situations. Maybe you have a Coloco, Boucher, a Chuwich situation going on. You're pretty light on shooting. You're going to need Precious to be able to hit his threes and not hit air balls. Um, and Boucher is going to have to be at least passable, you would think, in those situations. But they're so enormous, the defense will be impenetrable in those situations. And they might be able to survive four or five minutes here and there with that combo. You know, when it comes to Kem Birch... 
I'm a little less sure where he kind of slots in. I would assume he'll probably get some backup center minutes. You know, we'll see with Coloco. Um, he was really good in the opener. It, it's funny because I feel like there's been this sort of rush to anoint Christian Coloco as this perfect player who doesn't make mistakes. It was really funny watching Nick Nurse's pr- practice press conference yesterday where he was asked about how Coloco doesn't make mistakes. He's like, yeah, people say that. <laughs> it, sure, it sure seems like people think he doesn't make mistakes. Obviously, there's stuff that Nurse is seeing in film that are mistakes that, you know, are, are kind of going un, unremarked upon or whatever. But, you know, it's tough to not have that Coloco in the mix. Like he, he he's seven foot one. He adds a different mixed dynamic to the whole thing. And I, I do wonder how the Kem Birch Christian Coloco thing is going to play out. Birch was really good in the preseason. Sucks that he's been hit by this other injury to his non-surgically repaired knee, as I understand it. But he was really good. He looked spry. He looked quick. He looked like he had his defensive sort of, uh, you know, mobility back compared to last season in the preseason. It's just the preseason. But the the Coloco-Birch sort of dynamic is interesting to me because I think people are going to want to see Coloco. It's the young, fresh face. He's seven foot one. He's something new. We saw Ken Birch really struggle last season. I feel like maybe he's kind of old news to people, but that's going to be a little battleground, I think, when it comes to rotation minutes to, to really keep an eye on here because I would assume that Nick Nurse is going to want to give Ken Birch some run. He trusts his, his guys who he trusts. He, know, he likes guys who know what they're doing, and it's not to say Christian Coloco doesn't, but he's a rookie, and he doesn't have that sort of wizened experience of a Ken Birch, and, and that'll be interesting to see how he kind of slots in. You know, as far as the other bench combinations and things like that go, it is really tricky to kind of know exactly how they're going to deploy the second units until we get Otto Porter back in the mix, right? It's just, he's going to be such a key ingredient to adding so much space and life into these groups that until he's back, I think they're going to be playing this sort of crumpled, very, you know, compressed, huge guys in small amounts of spaces type of situation with their second units. And that's going to be a, a really... I think interesting thing for the Raptors to try to overcome here in the early part of the season. I'm not saying they can't. And obviously the starters, I think, are going to be good enough. And their their fourth quarters, I think, figure to be a strength just as they wear other teams down and drive them insane with their length for three straight quarters. You get to the fourth, you get your starters out there fresh. And, you know, maybe there's something to the idea of the Raptors being crunch time monsters because of the way that their game kind of wears the other team down over the course of 48 minutes. Um, so the starters, I have no questions about. But those in-between minutes, those situations where Pascal has to sit, you know, Pascal had moments where he sat down and instantly Donovan Mitchell's going off. You know, you can't have that. You have to be able to survive without Pascal Siakam. And I think there are ways to do it. Again, the Scotty OG combinations. Gary Trent Jr. obviously is a really important piece to sprinkle into these lineups to add some shooting, especially until Otto Porter comes back. And that, I guess, kind of leads me into where I want to close off the show, which is with Gary Trent Jr. I, I, I think he is such a fascinating player on the team this year. He's the guy who I, you know, I just, I think you know exactly what you're going to get from Gary Trent Jr., but you also are kind of sitting there like, how does this all fit in? What is his long-term role with the team? That's going to be a through line of this year. And, you know, he's an answer right now, I think, to those sort of in-between lineup bench questions, but he also could be an answer to some bigger questions about the Raptors. We're going to get into the dude of the week, Gary Trent Jr., coming up in just one second. Before we do that, however, I want to tell you about Game to game. You've made Locked on Raptors your first listen of the day. Go make your second listen of the day. Game to game. Every moment, every moment, every top performance, every result. Locked on game to game covers every game from across the NBA with local analysis that only Locked on can deliver. Follow game to game on the Locked on NBA YouTube channel. 
or on the various podcast apps, Odyssey, all that good stuff for free. And uh, wherever you get your podcasts, you can listen to Game to Game. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. <clears throat> All right, let's finish up here with the dude of the week. Of course, last year we did the dude of the game after every Raptors game. It got tired because it was like the same three guys in rotation who were just doing dudely things night after night. And so this feels like a nice way to leave off the week on a good note, talk about someone who did some good things over the course of the week. And so we'll do that here. And your first dude of the week I think is Gary Trent Jr. He was a little quiet, obviously, compared to some of the louder performances from Pascal and Scotty and OG in that opener, but I thought he was really important to what the Raptors were doing. He had the 19 points, of course, and he is just, much like last season where we saw him, other than Pascal Siakam, he drove half-court offense more effectively than anyone else on the team. That shooting is, like, such an essential piece of what the Raptors want to do, and, you know, it's pretty apparent that, like, he, when he's in the right mind space, when he's doing the right things, when he's sort of, I would say, thriving off of the chaos that the Raptors create with their length, with their drives in the half court, with the attention they draw, the extra help they draw, with the offensive, we saw this a couple times with, you know, just offensive tap outs, you know, getting on the offensive glass. Gary Trent Jr. is so often the benefactor of the chaos of the Raptors. And when he's kind of playing in that silo where he's just, you know, rock and catch and shoots, he's getting out on the run, you know, throwing in threes from, you know, pitch outs and stuff like that. Like that is Pete Gary Trent Jr. And that is a really bloody effective player when you mix in the fact that while he's not the greatest on-ball defender, he's very good at event creation and turning the ball over and getting the Raptors running game going. He's a big part of that. And so I'm just, I'm really curious to watch what Gary Trent Jr. does this season, what's the balance he can strike between those sort of self-creation odysseys and the catch-and-shoot stuff where he's just so much better. I also think they need his self-creation at times, right? The late clock stuff, you know, when, when there's maybe a couple starters on the bench, that stuff's valuable. He can actually get to a shot that is decent in the mid-range. He's not getting to the line uh, all that much, although he got there seven times in the opener, which is great to see, uh, or five times, whatever it was. I don't have the box score in front of me, but he got to the line, that was cool, but he is a guy who just can create something out of nothing, even if it's not an amazing shot, it's a fine shot that potentially opens up for an offensive rebound or opportunity or something like that, uh, and, you know, you have to have that pull-up mixed in there in, in some way, shape, or form, but I think there has to be a better balance between his pull-ups and his catch-and-shoots than there was last year. Last year, 48.5% 
of Gary Trent Jr.'s shots were pull-ups. This is per NBA.com shot, dash- shot dashboards. Uh, compared to just 30.5% of his shots were catch-and-shoots. The split in the opener was a little promising. Five pull-ups, five, uh, five catch-and-shoots, so an even split there. Had a couple other field goal attempts that didn't fall under either of those categories. But to have 42% of your shots be catch-and-shoots as opposed to 30, again, one-game sample, so it's just fun with small sample sizes here. But like that's the balance you want to see with Gary Trent Jr. If he is going to mix in those little odysseys and those little dalliances in creation, fine. That's cool. You need it in certain spots. It's also good to kind of just keep him happy, play the political game within the construct of the team, understand the human element all of that that's fine but Gary Trent Jr. is at his best when he is making good on the nonsense that the Raptors tend to create on the floor with all of their length and the way that they play and Gary Trent Jr. is often the man waiting there with the wide open three he's been great in crunch time the last couple seasons for this very reason Um, and obviously you know that the turnovers that he forces are huge too so I think it's just uh he is you know, he's a pending free agent. He's got an opt-out at the end of the season. He's probably going to opt-out, look for more money. And I think maybe the general wisdom and kind of what are, where I've been leaning is maybe he gets traded at the deadline. Maybe they kick the can down the road a little bit here, do the same thing they did with Norman Powell. Realize he's a free agent, realize he could be part of the future, but maybe not quite. And maybe we don't want to tie ourselves to that contract just yet. So maybe we spin him into someone else younger who we can then kind of figure out over the next couple of years if they're the answer at that spot. And it's possible Gary Trent Jr. is not the answer. The defensive issues are there. The overzealousness with his self-creation is also a problem. And this is going to be a thing to watch all season. He's probably not going to play like he did in the opener every single night. And, you know, we'll have to keep an eye on it. But if we saw what we what we saw, if we see what we saw in the opener from Gary Trent Jr. as his sort of predominant level of contribution throughout the season, that to me becomes pretty interesting when it comes to what the contract is going to be for him and what the Raptors should be doing. Should they just pay him? What is it going to be? Like four years, $100 million for Gary Trent Jr.? Obviously, that's a lot of money, but also everyone's going to be making a lot of money. It's not my money in the luxury tax. Once again, I don't really care. And if you have the pieces on hand that you think can go and win in the next couple seasons, keeping Gary Trent Jr. around might be pretty important. He does tie these lineups together. He is a great fifth option in crunch time for the ball to swing to when things don't work out. You know, to have that dude as your fifth best player on the floor, lots of other teams would die to have that. And the way his shooting just stands out as such an anomalous skill on this team is going to make him valuable. And, you know, look, this could change. If Scotty Barnes turns into a 38% three-point shooter this season, the dynamic, the necessity, the dependence on Trent changes. And maybe it's lesser. Maybe you can, you know, reckon with the idea that, okay, we move on from Gary Trent Jr. and try to figure out that two-guard spot somewhere else going forward. Uh, same goes if you get a, a huge uptick from any number of the bench guys, right? Like Chris Boucher comes back and he's incredible. Or, uh, you know, OG Ananobi becomes a 41% three-point shooter again or whatever. Pascal kind of re- regains his old form. If the shooting infrastructure of the team looks stronger and less dependent on Gary Trent Jr. That could spell trouble for him. But if he remains this super important piece to make the Raptors offense even sort of passable when he's on the floor, then yeah, it does become one of the more fascinating contractual questions for any team, I think, going forward here, because he's clearly never going to be the best player on the Raptors. It's just not going to happen. He's never going to be like a top five player, a top four player in the Raptors, probably based on who they already have in house. But 
you got to have role players. You got to have guys who tie it all together. And the best teams have very good role players that do that. And Gary Trent Jr. figures like maybe he can be that if, he, if the defense can hold up. Um, and maybe he's worth paying whatever his next contract is going to require that you pay him. He, again, one of the biggest through lines of the season will be watching the Gary Trent Jr. situation play out. I think I'm, it's one of the most fascinating and important things the Raptors have to keep an eye on this season. And I don't think that's changed after game one by any means. Uh, we should finish off with the doodly play of the week as we continue to talk about the dude of the week here, Gary Trent Jr. Again, really happy with his performance in the opener. And one play stood out to me as the doodly play of the week, where it's just Gary Trent Jr., being a dude to help the team as a whole as opposed to trying to be the guy and maybe ruining a possession. There was a possession in the fourth quarter of the Raptors game. It's 90-87 for the Cavaliers. Gary Trent Jr. gets the ball in the corner. He's got Evan Mobley on him. And Gary Trent Jr. is a man. He's not afraid. This guy loves taking shots. For a time last year, I think the first half of the season last year, Gary Trent Jr. had a higher three-point percentage on contested threes than wide-open threes. He's just that kind of dude. And that's why we love him. Normally, when you get a situation where Gary Trent Jr. is isolating on a guy, even if it's a good defender or an excellent defender like Evan Mobley, he's wont, at times, to take a pretty ill-advised shot there. A step back three, a mid-range two, off balance, whatever it might be. In this situation, however, Gary Trent Jr. realized, oh, I have a literal dragon on me, Evan Mobley. Normally, I can maybe make something work and get a shot off here, but instead... What if I make the smart play? In this situation, Scotty Barnes is one pass away up the wing, and he's got Howell Neto on him, who is not good at defense whatsoever. Gary swings it up, Barnes attacks immediately, and this is the play with the beautiful baseline kick out to OG in the corner. OG hits the three, is tied at 90, and everyone's feeling good. Happy sunshine roses. To me... That's not a play we saw a lot from Gary Trent Jr. last season. He would get the tunnel vision. He would just sort of say, all right, it's my time to shine, baby. And he didn't do that in this instance. Again, one game, one small sample that we're dealing with, one specific play we're dealing with. But I thought that was encouraging, at least, when it comes to the Gary Trent Jr. experience. Maybe there will be a little bit more balance when it comes to the ill-advised stuff versus the stuff that just comes to him because of the way the Raptors play. You got to have a balance of it in some way. You can't be tilted too far one way or another. But uh, that was a promising sign to me. So the doodly play of the week is that simple pass up to Scotty Barnes leading to one of my favorite plays of the game, that just soaring baseline pass from OG or from Scotty, who was throwing some damn darts in that game on Wednesday, by the way. Some beautiful passing from Scotty Barnes. Uh, that's going to do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in to the show. I'll be back again on Monday to break down again the games on the road against the Nets tonight, against the Miami Heat tomorrow night. Of course, this very, very difficult stretch of games against Eastern Conference heavyweights and the Nets starts uh, the season off. And it's a, it's just like zero to 100 right away. It's very fun. We'll have those games broken down for you on Monday. Thanks so much for tuning in, making us your first listen of the day. Go make your second listen of the day, Locked On NBA Game to Game. And uh, while you're at it, go check out the Locked On NBA podcast in general as they're doing a great job covering the league over there every single day with a rotating cast of Locked On local expert hosts. And uh, we'll round it out there. We'll talk to you again Monday. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. Bye-bye.
Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 